Hi, I'm Dave Brisky, and welcome to another episode of Brisky Business. Uh, you know, I'm so uh, proud that uh, you're joining me uh, in your living rooms or on your phones or on your video and welcoming me uh, into your lives. And I look forward to another great program. You know, we'll sit back, have a cup of coffee together, and uh, we'll get started on Brisky Business. So the goal of the platform, as many of you know, is to help you accelerate your business. Uh, we offer here forums, tips, tidbits to help demystify the business process and try to also demystify the stock market. Uh, mentorship on this program is absolutely encouraged and we hope to offer you some great mentorship uh, either by myself or some of the great guests that we have on the program uh, the last few programs we were able to field a number of different questions from our listening audience and viewing audience uh, those questions can be sent to brisky business at entvusa.com i love the feedback keep it coming thank you so much this is your program so i'm really interested in what you want to hear about uh, today is going to be a very, very special program uh, because I'm going to be able to welcome a guest onto the program, and I think you're really going to want to hear and enjoy what he has to say. Like all Brisky Business programs, we're going to offer four segments, Brisk Business Basics, Brisks Buy or Bail, Brisks Bulls and Bears, and of course, Brisks Best and Brightest, which is the mentorship section of the program. So, you know, let's get started and let's do this. My guest today is, is really, really a great, great guy. Super, super smart. Um, he's got a broad range of skills that I think you're really gonna be interested in hearing about. He's really an expert in customer retention. He's a gifted sales professional, uh, and he's also approaching nine hundred episodes on a podcast called Limitless that you're going to want to add to your weekly routine. His family is stunning and beautiful. Two great boys, a beautiful girl, and an amazing wife uh, that I'm all proud to call friends of mine. I'd like to bring Alex Tice on to Brisky Business. Alex, welcome to the program. Hey, Dave. Really, really happy to be here. Happy to uh Happy for everybody tuning in today. Thank you. It's uh, it's going to be a fun hour here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting it with you and uh, maybe digging in and having a cup of coffee. You'll have, I picked this uh, mug out special for you, or actually my wife did, and it says never, never, never give up. And I think it's going to be appropriate, especially when we get to uh, segment four. So uh, cheers to you, my friend. Let's kick it off. Let's do it. All right. So, you know, the first segment of the program is about Brisk's business basics. So it's that basic business principle. And what I'd really like to start off with is maybe that early career, your early career, uh, where you got started. You came out of, uh, I'm not even sure, did you come out of college? Where did you come out? And how did you kick off your business career? Well, I go back to, I had a couple weird jobs in, in high school, but the first really solid experience I had where I learned a lesson. Uh, my father ran grocery warehouses for my entire life that I, my childhood into my, into my twenties. My first job when I was 15 was he hired me to run a forklift uh, overflow when they needed somebody. And what I learned from that experience besides the joys of manual labor was I watched my dad in the hiring process. And I watched him hire a guy who had been out of prison for two weeks, who couldn't get a job and was really down on his luck and just had no hope. 
And I remember asking my dad in the car on the drive home from work, why would he hire a guy out of prison? He said, it's about results and everybody deserves a second chance. And if you have that, if you have that ability to give somebody a second chance, you'll never forget it. That was probably my first big business lesson that it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what color you are or religion you are, what sex you are. It, it doesn't matter where you're from, the American dream, your people coming here. I'm a third generation American. You're probably close to that, Dave. That was my first big business lesson. So I went to college part-time and I worked part-time, which was a blessing because most of my friends, their senior year in high school, you know, work in Taco Bell or Home Depot or at a restaurant. And there's nothing wrong with that. I was very blessed to get a job at a law firm after school as a senior in high school where I would drive to downtown Phoenix and work five or six hours at a law firm. And then I continued that as I was going to college part-time. And that put me in a group of people who were very professional, who had a career, who were college-educated, who had plans for their life. And that had a big impact on me being around really professional people. And from there, I made great connections. Because as you know, it doesn't matter what your education is or what you know. It's really who you become and who you know, those connections you make, that network. And from there, I was able to get a job in the direct sales industry in the law department, the legal department of a direct sales company was how I started. And that was in 1997, so over 23 years ago. And I've been in the direct sales space that entire time. I've done some other things, built some small businesses and things like that. But that's been my main occupation is running big customer service teams, running sales teams, working on promotions and customer and client retention and uh, started with a, a lucky break. Um, as I look back, it was kind of destiny to work with such professional people as a young man and be able to carry myself with a little more professionalism instead of a lot of my friends who were having a good time. But going through college, it doesn't really set you up to set a step into a professional environment and get noticed by powerful people. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And what a great uh, timing for this show to have uh, someone that's been in the direct selling space for that many years. Because I think, you know, given this uh, large state of unemployment that we're in, uh, the side hustle business, which is really what direct selling is all about, I think is going to uh, really kind of take off again and really come in vogue with so many people kind of looking for an opportunity. And you've really done it all in the direct selling space. I mean, you've done the roles for a direct selling company that really, really matter. And I want to touch on one of those particular roles because in one of the episodes I've had, and I got tons of feedback, which was covering the sales process, okay? And isn't it interesting when the economy gets rough, everybody turns to revenue, right? I mean, that revenue fixes everything. And all of a sudden, revenue is a big, big topic. And one of the things that you had to do, and I'm interested in the plan for this, is that you had to take a sales team uh, with your company, and you work at a Longevity, right? NASDAQ YGYI. And you had to take yep. a sales team, and you had to shift it and pivot it to working remote. Tell me about that, and tell me what do you think it takes to develop a strategy where people now are working remote? Certainly timely with uh, what's going on in the world and, and everybody having to shift. If you can work from home, there's a lot of, as you know, people that uh, really good people in service industries and things that don't have that ability, and I feel for them in this time and pray for them, and my thoughts are with them that that they you know find something and as, as the world evolves. For our sales team, they were very ingrained into an office environment, coming to the office every day, 
But we had built in, number one, measurables for the team. And I was taught a long time ago by a mentor that you know, if you want better results, you got to measure them. If you want even better results, you got to report those results. And if you want the best results, you incentivize those results. So we were already doing that, and we built a culture that was very autonomous. The, the main interaction I have with new hires, as you know, I used to train all of them from start to finish. Now my main interaction is I just... I meet them and I kind of lay down the law on a couple things because the team culture polices itself. So we already had a really strong team culture of trust, autonomy, and results. So when we shifted to work from home, it fit very well. I think the, the best thing I did was actually did a couple trainings for them on how to get the most out of yourself working from home, which a lot of people struggle with that. You, you mean, you've adapted in your career, Dave, to work from home and, and enjoy it and know that when you work from home, there's fewer distractions. There's definitely a, a couple of downsides you have to work around. But for me, I end up working longer hours. I work harder. I, I get more done. I have fewer distractions. So with our sales team, having those measurables in place, having the accountability, having the culture, having really good people who are autonomous and results-focused because they were incentivized to get those good results, we just really uh, stayed in tight communication, number one, because you don't want to just let people – this is where the misnomer of, hey, when people work from home, they just sit around and do nothing. If you're in tight communication with people and it's about results, you see what they're up to. And our team shifted. They were very happy to work from home. Uh, as you know, they had their best results ever. And from a management standpoint, there are some really uh, key factors to get the most out of your team and manage well without being a micromanager, without making people feel like you're breathing down their neck and letting them still do what they're really, really good at. And that comes down to the communication and the measurables. In our office, one of the things that drove sales was we had a big board, like a scoreboard, with all everybody's numbers on them that anybody could see any time. And that was built-in accountability. We don't have that luxury with people working from home. So... What we've been able to do is share that via other screens where people still see it on a daily basis. They see what they're up to. And it's, it's actually worked really, really well. So to, to sum all that up, taking a sales team that traditionally is in an office and shifting them to work from home, if you have a good culture, you have autonomy, great communication, and you have measurables built in to incentivize and, and, and manage people effectively, it was actually pretty seamless. <laughs> it was it was actually a lot simpler than I thought it would be. And people are super happy. And as you know, Dave, happy people sell more. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And that's such a great story with so many people working at home. My daughter uh, is actually struggling with it. She works for Frito-Lay and, and she's definitely missing the camaraderie of it. Um, but she's not in a sales role. And I think certain roles are more conducive for working at home than other roles. And uh, I think the selling process can be done anywhere if you've got motivated people that like the product they're selling, work as a team, and you can find ways to make them accountable without micromanaging. And you've obviously had a lot of success doing that and uh, broke some records by making that shift. So uh, congratulations to you. And I think you gave some, some absolutely uh, great advice. You know, your Limitless podcast, incredible, close to 900 episodes. That's a lot of episodes. What's the, in, in, in a couple minutes, because I think that's all we have left for this segment, tell me what the goal of that podcast is. I've uh, valued education my whole life, whether that's college or learning from mentors, or learning from people from afar, learning from books. And, uh, 
back in 2009, 2010, I discovered what a podcast was. And I was in a rut in my life. Everything was fine. I think we all have these times where you know, things seem to be going okay. We definitely have the times when things aren't going well, but things were okay. But yeah, I just felt like I was in a rut. And I discovered podcasts. And there's something magical about the spoken word. And especially when you have headphones in or you're in the car, is it reaches you subconsciously whether you're listening or not. But when you have these earphones and you're in the car, it, it, it's entering your mind and subconscious. It speaks to you. You find the right podcast. It feels like the, the podcast or the host is speaking directly to you, like he, he or she designed this episode specific for you. So that happened to me. I had a couple great podcasts that I listened to, and it felt like I wanted to share some challenges I've been through. And the biggest challenge in my life that I see in everybody's life, whether they are, it doesn't matter where they're at in their life, young old, stuck, not stuck, in college, yeah, great career, is right here. The thing that holds us back the most isn't real obstacles. It's the obstacles we create in our minds, the limits, the limiting beliefs. That old saying that uh, fear cancels more dreams than failure ever does is because we talk ourselves out of it. And so my podcast, Limitless, was designed. I wanted to speak to people who were in that situation that I was in, holding yourself back, talking yourself out of a good idea. Like Sarah Blakely, the great female entrepreneur, says, everybody has had a million-dollar idea. They just didn't take action on it. My goal is to remove those limits that are in your mind and get you to start taking steps of action because when you take action, you get experience. It turns into expertise. You might make mistakes, but you learn so much. And one of the most gratifying things the podcast is 900 episodes, been downloaded 2.5 million times. But the most gratifying thing to me is when I get an email from somebody that says, Alex, I've been listening to your podcast and I finally pulled the trigger and I started a business or I sold my business or I left a bad relationship or I was able to go and ask somebody out that I've been wanting to talk to for a long time because they overcame those limits in their mind. And that is to me is you know, that type of legacy to leave with people and make an impact on their lives is that's huge. You can't, you can't put a price on it. It's and that's so, so gratifying. Believe it or not, the segment's already over. It's amazing when you get together with someone who's super smart that you like chatting with, and it's just great catching up with you. Today, I'm enjoying some conversation with Alex Tice, and uh, let's bring him back onto the program. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, when Alex first joined our business, uh, and we uh, it was a brisk buyer bail moment. It was a buyer bail moment. It happens in life all the time, and those are our moments when we summarize the pros and cons, and we decide to go with something or not go with something. And in the case of uh, of, of the time we first met, uh, you were making a decision on whether whether to join the company. And do you go through a buyer bail type strategy when you make these decisions, Alex? Yes, you have to. And a few months before I met you, maybe 60 days before I met you, I actually had an opportunity, the same type of opportunity, where I met with somebody and it, it just wasn't right. And it was really hard to say no and to walk away from an opportunity where, frankly, I needed the money. <laughs> I needed the opportunity. But it was the wrong opportunity. And I kept feeling, feeling this pull that... If you say no to the wrong things, you'll, you're, you're going to find the right things. But the opposite is also true. If you keep saying yes to the wrong things, you'll never run into the right things. It's like getting on a train before it's time. Like, this isn't your train. Why would you get on a train to Boston when you want to go to New York? That happens. So I actually said no to an opportunity, and then I met you. So for me, anytime it's an idea, a project, an opportunity, 
number one, it's about the people. Because at the end of the day, uh, you and I were like-minded. Besides just the business part is we like to work with people we like with. We like, right? We like to have a little fun because business is challenging. You're going to have some ups and downs. So that was the first thing is I had a connection with you. Number two is we had the same goal in mind of where we were headed with this. We had the, we had the same vision, you know, the same end point we wanted to reach. And so that we had alignment. And the third thing is you're going to run into obstacles anytime you have an opportunity, an idea, anytime you have to make a decision. How are you going to work around those obstacles? That has to do with the people. But, you know, working with you and some other people, we were able to clear out some of the obstacles that got in our way. And so ultimately, you also look at the track record of the, the people you're working with. And the last thing I'm looking for is that connection when it comes to mindset as far as two big things for me. Freedom to fail because not everything can be a home run and you have to, you have to try some things and learn from, learn from your mistakes. And the second thing was enjoying life that you know, I don't live to work. I work to live and I, I love to work. I work every day like you, Dave. But the happier I am, the more I get to work where I want and do the things I want. And for you, you said the magic words that uncanny, the same quote that my dad told me when I was 15 years old, you told me when I was 29 and I met you, I wasn't 29. You said it's about results. And when you said that after we had met and you, you ended it with that, I knew right then like that, I, I could still feel the goosebumps. You know, I remember that very well too. It was a good connection. And then we start to leverage the skills. And one of the skills uh, you've had, you had several, but there, was, uh, there, there wasn't there was the existence in, in the company of a retention team, you know, customer retention. And it was an area you were really passionate about. And it was that other buy or bail moment. Like, how are we gonna build a retention team? We didn't have the biggest budget to do it. And how are we gonna to go about building a results-oriented retention team. And uh, that was another bio-bell moment, right? We were going to live or die by this, and we were going to create the upside to do it. And uh, obviously, that ended up being a very, very good decision for the company, for yourself, certainly for me. Um, and so I want you to talk about that area that you really are an expert in, that customer and client retention that I don't think companies pay close enough attention to. You know, why is it manager? How do you focus? on it. Uh, what do you think, it, why it's important? I mean, you're an expert in it, so I just want to hear what you have to say about that. One of the factors that was definitely in consideration for, for us working together was the product that we worked with, and that was key. So for everybody out there, when you're faced with a decision, you don't want to, there, there's things you'll compromise on. You might compromise on pay or you know, there's things that you negotiate, but there has to be non-negotiables. I don't know how to sell lipstick. I don't know how to sell even stocks. I've never been a stockbroker. There's a lot of things I'm not good at. And this world rewards you for focusing on the things that you're great at. So whatever you're good at, pick a couple of those things and try to be great at them. For me, I was very fortunate to work with some mentors who valued customer and client retention. And I had a, had a liking for that, had a knack for it. And not many people in the world do. Um, I like to think I'm one of the world's foremost authorities on customer and client retention. And part of that, I'm not afraid to say, is because not many, very many people are focused on it. But I'll give you a couple examples, and I'll tell you why I focus on it. But a couple of examples in the world of companies that are almost solely focused on 
keeping people longer and keeping people more often, have you spend more time and more money with them. Three huge companies, Google, Amazon, Facebook. Maybe three of the top, the biggest companies in the world have focused on customer and client retention. And Amazon was great at it back in the day when they said, hey, we want to keep you. We're going to give you free shipping if you spend $25, knowing that books cost $9 or $19. So you'd buy two books and get the free shipping, so they were able to raise that. Here's why I'm so focused on on customer retention. There's only three ways to grow a business when you boil it down. New business or getting people who buy from you to buy more, as in dollars, or getting people who buy from you to buy more often. So if they buy from you twice a year, can they buy from you four times a year? If they spend, I, I just talked to a restaurateur about this who's his limited space in his restaurant. I said, how much is your average plate on a Friday or Saturday night? And he didn't know. I said, well, average that out and try to raise that by 10%. And if you do that every night, your business just grew by 10% without adding a single table. That, in a nutshell, is why I love customer and client retention. Somebody already loves you. It's proven they want to spend more money with you. They want to spend with you more often. They don't want to go to a bunch of different places. And again, I'll bring up Amazon again. They're, they're living proof of that, that what don't you buy on Amazon anymore? I mean, there's a limited thing. And so you know, luckily, you and I working with YGYI is their products are phenomenal. And that played into my skill set almost perfectly to say, you have people here who have been taking these products for 20 plus years who love them, who may have tried them somewhere else or tried a different product line and never got those same results. So we're working with an excited group of people. And our average order on our sales team with retention is 60% higher than the company's average order. And the company's average order is already really high. It's already really strong because the products are so amazing. I tell you that not to toot my own horn, but to say, everybody, if you're not focused on past clients, if you're not focused on how do you get people to, who love you to spend a little bit more, even 5 to 10%, or come back to you more often or winning them back, it's easier than getting new business. But the whole world's focused on getting new business, which at times we need to be, obviously. But if you would take 10 to 20% of your time and focus on retention, winning people back, or getting people to spend more with you, you'd see amazing results. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that it plays very, very well in the direct selling space. You know, we've got one minute left for this segment. The, you know, the, the, those that are in the side hustle business right now, right, they're building a check or they're new to that. How important is retention in their world? One of the reasons people stop building a side hustle or a side business is they get burnt out from having to go find new people to turn and burn. It happened to my wife and I the first time we built a, a direct sales business. She got completely burnt out of finding new people, finding new people, finding new people. And that's one of the things that contributed to my learning more about retention was I fell in that trap of not retaining people. So anybody in that space, every minute you spend on winning people back on retaining people, getting them to spend more, makes them more loyal. Every minute you spend is an investment that pays for itself 10 times over. And yet so few people are focused on it because I just don't think they know what to do. Or if you lose somebody, it becomes personal. Like if I call Dave, he used to buy from me and he stopped, he must hate me. If you can remove that fear and that personal part out of it and that pride out of it and just get really curious about people, which is great in the sales process and ask questions, you'll get more attention. Absolutely. 
Wow, time is flying by. We're going to have to change to an hour program at some point or have you on again. I'm really enjoying uh, what you have to say. So, uh, you know, this concludes Brisk Buyer Bail. That segment's uh, in the books, as they say. And we're going to be right back with Brisk Bulls and Bears with Alex Tice on Brisky Business.